What's up, friends? Before we hop into the show, I have to tell you about Manscaped. And as we all know, 2020 has been a year of things happening that are completely out of control. But there is one thing you can control, and that's shaving below the belt. And Manscaped is the perfect place for that. And the Lawnmower 3.0 is the perfect product for that. Wherever you want to do it, at any time of day, they have that LED light. So if you want to do it in the dark, well, you're set with that. If you want to do it in the shower, well, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof. It's got a 90-minute battery. So no matter how long you need to shave, I guarantee you the Lawnmower 3.0 will last for that. And Manscaped just released their Shears 2.0 Nail Kit which is a perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. And the Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and medium grit nail file. Manscaped has it all, guys. You can take care below the belt. You can also take care of your nails. And you can also make sure those eyebrows are looking crisp and clean. So make sure to check out Manscaped and Listeners of this show will get 20% off and free shipping with the code DNVR20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off your entire purchase with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use that code DNVR20. It's magical because it gets you 20% off, free shipping, and gets you great products from Manscaped. So it's time to grab 2020 by the horns and shave what you need to. All right, Mace, let's hop into the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast on this wonderful Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my main man, Andrew Mason. And before we hop into the show, I got to tell you guys about our presenting sponsor, MSU Denver Online. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. And there's, there's so many great things about MSU Denver Online. And the two specifically for you guys is... So many of you guys are listening to us from far away from Denver. And it doesn't matter for MSU Denver Online because you can take advantage wherever you are, whether you're overseas, whether you're in a different state, head over to msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all they have to offer. They have over 40 online and hybrid programs and 750 classes. MSU Denver has everything that you could imagine. And the second great thing, about MSU Denver Online for you guys is so many schools are going to online learning right now. Well, MSU Denver Online has been doing it for so long. They've already mastered the art of online learning. They're not scrambling during this time. So they're perfect. Make sure to check them out, msudenver.edu slash online. My boy, Mace, happy hump day. Happy Wednesday to you as well. Oh, boy. We're, we're starting to get into the time of year, or we're approaching it as far as a training camp goes, where the days of the week aren't going to mean all that much. We're not quite there yet because 
The Broncos are going through their COVID-19 testing, so they're just starting the process of checking in. But uh, the days are, are drawing short as we count down to when we're actually going to see, be able to see these guys going through their paces, getting ready for the season. Oh, boy, it's, you know, if they can just hold this mini bubble, as Vic Fangio talked about yesterday, and people can stay out of trouble and uh, not go out and, uh, and contract COVID, then we're going to have some football. Cautiously optimistic. I'm also cautiously optimistic because here we are now, and another day has passed, and you're worried about the Philadelphia Phillies in Major League Baseball having a COVID outbreak after playing the Marlins, and once again, all negative tests from the Phillies. So, you know, if baseball with this one issue that has paralyzed it a little bit, if they can get through this and uh, it hasn't spread and, and the NFL can learn from it, then it increases the chances of having a viable season. So just yeah. keeping those fingers crossed. Yeah, keeping those fingers crossed. Uh, good vibes only Wednesday, maybe we'll call it, because make sure you're just putting smiles on my face left and right, saying that football is close to being back. Uh, good news from the Phillies. And, man, we're just going to hope that, that all of this just continues. And may speaking – of something Vic Fangio said. You asked him a question yesterday uh, talking about how do, you, how do you live life now without preseason games? Because we know Vic Fangio, I think, likes four preseason games more than anyone. Now, a couple months ago, we kind of got an idea it probably wasn't going to be a full four season or full four preseason games. Uh, and then, of course, last week, find out it's going to be none. So, Mace... Hmm. How are the Broncos going to live life without the preseason? Well, it's a good question. And ah, asked by you. Very good question. Yeah, I actually just <laughs> quoted Vic Fangio because I got it in under the wire yesterday. The last person selected to ask a question at the, at the press conference, as it were. And he said, that's a good question. Because I asked about how do you evaluate a lot of the young guys, the back of the roster guys, the undrafted guys, without preseason games. And he met – and he said, it's not just that, you're not, you're not just losing preseason, but you're also losing padded practices because, of course, you're, you're limited in the amount of padded practices that you have. You can't have any practices in pads until the 17th of August. So what do you do? Well, Fangio had an interesting suggestion. He said, perhaps in practices, you're going to have to have some occasional live action as in tackling to the ground, going full speed, and suggested that maybe you do that when you go to the stadium. He left the door open for the possibility of a couple of practices at the stadium, in part to get live action in, in part because there are players on the roster that you want them to get accustomed to playing at an NFL stadium it, playing in that environment, even though you're not going to have fans for those practices in all likelihood that you're going to have to figure that out. So and Mace, I really, was really quick yeah, sorry. On, on that. Don't you think maybe it's also a good thing to do that without fans in the stands, even for the veteran players, for them to see just how weird it could be with no fans, or even if there's 14,000 fans, it'll be way different than, than what any, any of these guys have felt at 75,000 fans. I would say so. And the other thing is, if you are going to do this, let's say you want to replicate 14,000 fans. You still need a little bit of noise. But I think maybe, let's say the Broncos have decided, okay, we're, we're not going to be able to have fans early in the season. And the whole thing is a moving target. 
but let's say they say, okay, we're going to have, we can't have fans for week one, but we're going to go with the whole cutout thing. And maybe you start setting up the cutouts. I, I don't know, but you do have to, but I think it's still more important for the younger players because one of the things about a game day is that you don't want anything to catch them by surprise right down to getting to the stadium, getting in the locker room, uh, getting dressed, knowing where everything is. By the way, one thing, if you're going to do that, Zach, then you probably have to make sure that you're bussing all the players in, not just those guys who don't have homes in town. Because remember, for this year, one of the protocols for dealing with COVID-19 is that all the players are going to bus over from the hotel at which they're spending the night before the game. Take that bus together. Nobody's going to be driving to the stadium on their own anymore. Like, like we'd seen in the past. So the, the whole process has changed. And so from that regard, yeah, it's probably good for the veterans to get a little, get a little bit of extra, of extra time in there. But, yeah, full, full contact, live action, tackling to the ground in practice. This is something that you just you don't see. Even when they had their quote-unquote summer scrimmage type of practice over the stadium last year, I mean, they weren't tackling to the ground. It wasn't, it, it wasn't full tilt. Vic Fangio did crank it up in terms of how many days they were in pads last year, but they weren't going to the ground unless they were in a game. So this is something that would be a change for the Broncos compared to last year. Yeah, it certainly will. And Mace, that's how it should be. I mean, we shouldn't be waiting till week one for the Broncos defenders to be tackling guys for the first time. Or even, you know, Philip Lindsay delivering a stiff arm. If we wait till then, then... I mean, people are talking about sloppy football for the first couple weeks. If we're waiting till then, until the, the first guy is tackled, we're going to be talking about sloppy football till you know, the start of the second half of the season. Yeah, and with some of these guys that you're bringing in, you got to find out how physical they are. I mean, well, let's, I'll take an example. I think in the right situation, Justin Stranod is going to get some reps this year. Well. It's one thing to do everything at Wake Forest. It's quite another to do it in the NFL. So with somebody like him and also coming off the season-ending injury last year, don't you want to get him out there for some live-action reps to see, to see how he goes at full speed, full contact in the NFL, how it, in, how it is if he's, you know, Say he's one-on-one with Noah Fant. How does he handle that? How does he, how does he bring him to the ground? Some of those undrafted rookies, you know, you want to see uh, how physical, for example, Asang Bassey, the cornerback out of Wake Forest, is. Because, you know, Shaquille Taylor, they let the Broncos let go of him. There's a, there, it's wide open at cornerback. There's a path for somebody like Bassey to make the roster. There's a path for Michael Ojemudi to have, ex- to have extensive playing time. But you still have to find out what they do in live action, and it is different in the NFL compared to the college ranks. And so you probably are going to have to have those snaps. And you know what? You cross your fingers, you hold your breath, you hope that nobody gets, you hope that nobody gets hurt. That's the risk that you're bringing into it. But you do have to have some reps to get ready for the season that involves tackling to the ground. Yeah, and that's the downside, Mace. Is if someone were to get hurt, unlike in a game you could say that was avoidable where in a game, obviously everyone knows that you have to tackle to the ground. So an injury uh, like that, but by taking someone to the ground is unavoidable in practice, it could always come back and say, well, you didn't have to be bringing guys to the ground, 
But I agree with you. You got to prepare. It can't be week one. And and I don't think anyone with a realistic perspective here would say, yeah, don't make your first tackle until week one when the lights are truly on. Mm -hmm. But Mace, the, the question is, what's the right amount of full contact? Is it one practice? Is it four to simulate the preseason? We know the practices, uh, you know, you, you may not get as many reps as in uh, in a game because you're cycling through so many people. So is it eight? I mean, you're only allowed 14 padded practices this training camp, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe there's even a limit, going to be a limit set on how many or can be full contact taken to the ground. You may have to simply say, okay, we're going to a lot – two of these full pad practice days and we're going to treat them as scrimmages. And that may be something that you have to do. Maybe those are at the stadium as, as Fangio suggested, that would make sense to kind of differentiate them a little bit. Even then, you know, for some of the young guys, they're going to be, they're going to be on the outside looking in. They're not going to be getting as many reps because those young guys, like you say, take Chris Harris Jr. back in 2011 and that was the season in which they lost OTAs. But they still had four preseason games. And those back-of-the-roster guys, usually they get more reps than the first-team guys. The first-team guys in preseason play, and let's say you're going to have these live-action reps and try, to, and try to compare them to preseason reps. In preseason, a typical preseason, the first-team offense gets about one full game of work or a little bit under that. So... To do that, you'd probably have you'd probably have to have as many as four practices that are live action, full tilt. I don't know that you see that many. I think maybe you just kind of chop that in half and say two, and then effectively your first teamers are getting about about a half a game of work, and then you're probably you're giving more. I think to the younger guys down the sec on a second and third teams because you are trying to find out whether they can stick one advantage that the Broncos are going to have is that there's not going to be preseason film so you're not going to and every team's going to have this advantage you're not going to have other teams watching the film of say Cleveland Detroit and thinking oh you know like John Jacob Schinkelheimer Schmidt there playing linebacker boy he's a thumper if they let him go we're going to make a waiver claim for him you're not going to have that this year you're going to have you know you know reports trickling out from those from those in the media who are going to be covering these training camps but you're not going to have anything beyond that so it is possible it is going to be possible to, to slip some guys through that maybe you wouldn't and get them on the practice squad but you you, you do need to find out a little bit about them and then I, I think at minimum you probably have to have two two practices with live action maybe maybe what you do Zach is you have two live action practices for everybody and then you have another few days in practice periods where you're giving the you're giving say second and third teamers live action reps because right. you are trying to find out about those younger guys the ones that are going to be the at the back end of the roster the ones that in this year if you happen to have a, an outbreak of covid you might have to rely on those guys at some point so it's funny there's less chance to find out about what these players can do, what they can do at full speed, full contact, but you don't, but you need to learn perhaps more this year than any other year. Sort of yeah. the conundrum of twenty twenty. Yeah, it it really is. Is you got to get the first string guys ready to go with that full contact, but then 
Vic Fangio has talked about how important preseason is for developing these young guys. So then he wants to develop these young guys on the back end. And then John Elway also needs to evaluate these young guys on the back end. So maybe you actually see these young guys uh, and these back end of the roster guys play a little more in training camp than you really ever would because of this. But then at the same time, well, you didn't have an off season. You have a new offensive coordinator. You have a young quarterback who only played in five games last year. You have all these new weapons on offense. You need them to play. So it's obviously the first team guys take precedence. So it's not going to be a drastic shift. It's not going to be a 50-50 split, obviously. But Vic Fangio Mm -hmm. and John Elway both just preached yesterday how important now training camp is for these young guys to evaluate the roster when they have to make those 27 cuts. Yeah. And of course they change the number of players that can be on the practice squad. They increase that to 16. You can have four veterans on the practice squad that have any level of experience. So you could have a 10, literally have a 10 year vet on the practice squad if need be, but you still have to cut guys before you can get them to the practice squad. And in my heart of hearts, I almost wish, Zach, that they had just said, okay, it's going to be an 80-man roster and no cuts. That would be amazing. And the only thing that happens at the deadline is that you have the line of demarcation between – the 53-man roster and the the practice squad, and you go from there. And then you do say, okay, other teams can try to get guys on your practice squad, but you still have the ability to, if a team comes calling that says, hey, we want to get a guy off your practice squad for our 53, you can still say, well, we're going to give you a raise and keep you around, (laughs) which is something that we've seen in the past that there have been players who have turned down the chance to go elsewhere because the team that had them gave them a raise and said, Hey, you know, look, if we've got you on this plan, if you stay here, this is where we see you going. So that's the thing that I would have liked to have seen, but at the same, but there are, but, but there is an underclass of teams that understandably. So, especially if you've, if your roster is kind of thin that views the chance to claim players off waivers after the cut to 53 as a significant roster building opportunity and was going to stand in the way of anything like that happening, even in this unusual year. Yeah. And may speaking of roster building, the Broncos made their final two moves yesterday. Of course, Kyle Pecco opting out and they waived Zamari Manning uh, undrafted wide receiver. Uh, so he will not be in the competition at wide receiver this year. And the two other moves made, of course, those two moves got the Broncos down to that 80 where they needed to be. But the two other moves, Elijah Wilkinson to the PUP and Natani Muti to the NFI, uh, the PUP physically unable to perform list. If you're placed on that before training camp, you can come off of it at any time with no repercussion. Uh, and Natani Muti, NFI, similar uh, in that. So it's smart to start those guys on those lists right now where they can come off of it um, with, with not much harm. But they do still count against the 80-man roster. But Mace, two big names, two interesting names. And what does it mean for the left tackle competition? Are we still calling it a competition with one of the two competitors now on the PUP? Well, let's face it. When I 
I wrote my series of articles on the DMVR.com about camp competitions. I kind of poo-pooed the notion of a, a competition at left tackle. I you know, basically spelled it out why it really wasn't going to happen. Now, with Wilkinson coming off of the, the surgery that he did have in the course of the offseason, I believe he had it in – I believe he had the surgery in May, if, if I'm not mistaken. I believe uh, he that's called right. It a, uh, he called it, quote, a little cleanup in my ankle at the time. And that's – that's almost certainly the reason why Elijah Wilkinson is going on the PUP right now. Now, this means that he could be back by the time that they start putting it, that they start putting on pads, or even earlier by the time they start putting on helmets. But uh, it's a designation that says that he's not physically cleared to play right now. It gives the Broncos some flexibility too, because the thing with PUP is that you can stay on PUP and not count against the roster into the regular season as long as you don't practice. So Wilkinson could be healthy, but if they want to be cautious and careful and have him in reserve in case something happens to Jawan James or Garrett Bowles and save a roster spot, at least for those first six weeks, then they could go ahead and just hold him out. Now, I don't think there's much value in doing that because let's face it, Jawan James with his injury history, you might need somebody stepping in at right tackle in week two or week three. Mooty is it, it's not a surprise that he's on NFI and this is what happened with Jake Butt back in 2017 had a college injury and even though it's a football injury if it happens in college not the NFL that means it's going to be considered NFI if it is what is keeping you from playing so the other thing that happens with Mooty is Let's say it's like Jake Butt in 2017 again, and he stays on the NFI, then he would not gain a year of service. It would be a redshirt year in every way, right down to the fact that even though he'd be under contract, after the, the four years of his contract expired, he would only have three years of service and then would be a restricted free agent and not an unrestricted free agent when that contract expires. So. Mm-hmm. One thing we've talked about with Mooty is playing the long game. Yep. If, if you want to be cautious with him, and I think given the multiple injuries that he had at Fresno State, that would be the wise course of action here, then even though you might be tempted, because, boy, he's got a world of talent. He's easily a second-round talent if he were healthy. Then you still have to focus on playing on – on the long game, taking your time here. And maybe that means Muti is on NFI to stay. It's po- it's possible if they don't see enough progress in his recovery and don't feel like he can get out there. And, oh, and oh by the way, he's somebody that's probably going to need a few weeks of practice reps to get up to speed and being able to play, even with all the talent that he has. So it wouldn't all surprise me if NFI is where he stays for his rookie year. And that's where he should be. That's that's perfectly okay. It helps with the contract situation down the road. If he really is as good uh, as his talent says and he can stay healthy, well, having him in a couple of years uh, as a restricted free agent will be huge to get another cheap year out of him. It'll help uh, in negotiating a long-term contract with him. So that makes sense. It makes sense not to rush him. And then also, Mace, 
You don't need him. You don't need to rush him. Your strength on the offensive line is with your two guard positions at Dalton Reisner at left guard and at Graham, Graham Glasgow uh, at right guard. And so you don't need him right now. It, this was a luxury pick. So play the right game with it. And I think that's exactly what the Broncos are going to do. And also that people have maybe thought, well, what if you put Muti at left guard and move Dalton Reisner to left tackle? Well, maybe you do that next year. You're not next doing year. that this year. It, it's way too late in the game to make those moves. And I think this clearly says that that will not be happening. So this is the right move to make with Muti. And speaking of left tackle, Mace, boy, there, there's hope out there right now that Elijah Wilkinson hmm. will be back when the pads come on uh, on August 17th. There's hope. Keep, keep that in mind. Hope that he comes back and is on the practice field. Well, then you're only, you're only three or four weeks out from the opening, uh, opening game. He, he will have missed the first two weeks, although it's walkthroughs and strength conditioning. He didn't have any of that this offseason. So I, if he's back when practice starts, I still think he's going to be pretty, pretty far behind the ball. And you have Garrett Bowles, who uh, Vic Fangio is saying, the arrow's pointing up with him. <laughs> Uh, he's in the best shape he's been from what Garrett tells him physically and mentally. Mace, we already thought the Garrett Bowles had, had the upper hand here. Everything is pointing that this is his job before the competition even starts. Although that being said, Vic did offer a qualifier after he said the arrow is up when he added, and I quote, that's easy to say here as we sit in late July. We'll see how it unfolds. I think he's in a good spot as it relates to everything as much as he can be. <laughs> yep. And I, I think Vic is wise to offer the, that sort of qualifier for, for Garrett Bowles. And yes, he said best spot mis- physically, mentally, and emotionally than he's ever been. Well, he dadgum well should be. He's going into year four. <laughs> right. Everything should be clicking by right. now. When you're talking about a first-round pick, being able to contribute, it all should be, it all should be clicking. This, it doesn't surprise me that he said all that. And Garrett Bowles is going to be the left tackle, barring injury in week one. This, but I don't think the scenario has changed. Everything for him is going to be determined in those sixteen games. And oh, by the way, let's say he cuts the penalties, but you've had a season where you played a bunch of games with few fans or no fans. I am a little worried long-term about a false, you know, a false positive and positive being good here. We're talking about false negatives, false positive testing. I mean, who knew when Vic Fangio made his false positive analogy last year that we would be coming into a season, into a year in which we'd be talking about nothing but negatives and positives and tests and all that. (laughs) Did Vic Fangio know? (laughs) (laughs) He was on it before anyone else. (laughs) Yes. But I do worry about one thing about that with Garrett Bowles. He had more holding penalties at home than on the road last year. And that was the trend that started in the 2018 season. It seemed as if his play got worse and it sort of fed off itself. It was a vicious cycle. He'd have a holding penalty. The fans in the stands at home understandably had that visceral reaction of, 
anger, frustration. I mean, the, I've never heard a Bronco booed like Garrett Bowles was in the Chicago game in week two. Yeah. And something interesting, by the way, um, over on, uh, on 104.3 The Fan, Mark Schlereth was, uh, was on about a week or two ago, and he said something really fascinating about that. He called the game. And with Dick Stockton. And do you remember that penalty that was on Ron Leary, but we all thought it was going to be on Garrett Bowles? <laughs> yep, yep. Well, he said something interesting. He said a few weeks later that uh, he was flying, he calling another game and he was flying back to Denver and he was in the airport. And he said, sometimes when you're waiting for your flight, you will run into officials that are on their way back from the game they called. Uh-oh. And he said, he was talking with one of the officials in that game and the official said, yes, sometimes you'll be like, we can't, we can't give another penalty to this guy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) How about that? Oh my (laughs) goodness. And basically Garrett Bowles got off the hook for at least one infraction because they felt like they felt like they, he, that, the, the fans, they felt like the, the player couldn't deal with another penalty. Yeah, when the officials feel bad for you, that's probably not a good thing. Yes, but that's, the, that's how bad it got for Garrett Bowles at times last year. And while the holding penalties were curved down the stretch, some of that's due to Drew Locke, one thing that alarmed me about Garrett Bowles was late in that Raider game when they goaded him into a 15-yard penalty. Yep. And that's unfortunately – the book is out on Garrett Bowles. I do, so I do worry this year if you don't have fans in the stands and he, and he has fewer penalties, is that a function of his own improvement or is it a function of playing in a different environment? And frankly, if we see teams go to him into some different types of penalties, those 15-yard discipline type, types of infractions, then I think we'll have our, our answer. So this is – it's not something where I can – draw a line in the sand and say if he's on one side of this you keep him he's on the other side of this you don't it's going to be one of those things that's probably going to exist in the gray in the murky gray area but it bears monitoring and if Garrett Bowles let's say Garrett Bowles doesn't have any holding penalties for six games I may end up being the raging skeptic who says well how many fans were at those games especially at home you know just, just warning you about that Right. Well, I mean, it's, uh, man, and saying all of those good things, aren't you glad that he's likely going to be your starting left tackle week one? <laughs> well, he showed he can be adequate with, with Drew Locke. Now, that being said, Drew Locke bailed him out quite a bit. So right. you have to consider that. But there isn't a team in the NFL that doesn't have one or two weak spots, even the Chiefs have some soft underbelly spots here and there. Now, Patrick Mahomes can cover up a lot of them because of the caliber of player that he is at the most important player on, position on the field. But every team has that. Unfortunately for the Broncos, it, both tackle spots, if Jawan James isn't healthy, are weak spots. If Jawan James is healthy, I think he's going to be fine over there. I'm not worried about that. If, I'm not worried about right tackle when Jawan James is in the game. Right. He's, he showed it though those brief flashes. That first half against Houston, he showed why he should have he showed why the Broncos paid him a lot of money. He was terrific. But then he couldn't hold up. Yeah. 
Yep. Uh, man. So, I mean, th- those are the two biggest questions. Uh, Natani Moody, not a big question for the Broncos this year. Yeah. That makes sense what they're doing. The two biggest questions on the Broncos, maybe the, the entire team, but definitely the offense, left and right tackle. And mm-hmm. if those things come together, whew, I don't know if we'll be tempering those expectations very much, like John Elway said. If those two things don't come together, that's a big issue with every with all of the other young unknowns on this team. I, I'm still tempering the expectations, even if the tackle position works out, because you are – having to start the timing in terms of full game speed. It's one thing to work out at a park. It's another thing to actually uh, be at, at full speed. I, I'm, you're, I think you're starting from, from pretty close to zero there. And the new scheme on top of it with a lot of young players, this is going to be a bunch of very young, very messy cooks in culinary school. <laughs> doesn't mean that eventually they can't come up with a masterpiece of the meal that they would be honored to serve at the French laundry, but the kitchen's going to be messy for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of things that aren't very messy right now, Mace, let's jump into our DraftKings Sportsbook pick of the week. And the thing that isn't messy right now is the Colorado Rockies pitching staff. How, how is this the case, Mace? They've been really good in the first four games, and that's led them to a three-game win streak. The team is 3-1 and one right now. They haven't allowed more than three runs in a single game. One run, two runs, two runs, and three runs, and their offense is starting to pick up. So I've got that Rockies fever. I'm feeling some Rocktober baseball in me. I know I picked them a couple weeks ago at plus 15,000 to win the World Series. This week, I'm going to do something that will cash in a little sooner. I'm going to go plus 2,000 on the Rockies to win their division. They're almost a tenth of the way through the season, which is crazy after only playing four games. And they're 3-1. and one. I know I'm probably too high on the Rockies, but you know, th- throw 10 bucks on them to win the, win the division, and there you go over at DraftKings. You could win 200 on that bet if it cashes out. All right. I, I got to say one thing. You say, how is it happening? How are the Rockies' pictures doing so well? How many games have they had at Coors Field? <laughs> I know, I know. Zero. I'm, I'm the skeptic here. <laughs> Everything can change when you get back home to Coors. That being said, you know, I thought, I, I think you can't help, you can't be anything but encouraged by what Kyle Freeland did over the weekend. You've got Herman Marquez, who's uh, going out there again. Of course, he's your ace. He's going to be, he's going to be out there today. Uh, you have to be encouraged by the way Senzatella fought back from a really rough first inning last night. And he got to 31 pitches and uh, he calmed down. And, and one of the things that I like about Senzatella is that even when he's struggling, he doesn't, he's good at compartmentalizing. He doesn't, he, he, he always has the ability to battle back. And he showed that again. He showed that way, way back. I remember seeing him down in a ball in, in Asheville and he showed, and he showed that capability. So my pick though, I'm, you know what? I came out ahead on my pick last week because I, I picked against my Atlanta Braves and I took the over on Jacob deGrom strikeouts against the Braves <laughs> and the Braves are whiffing at an alarming rate. So we're going to go back to that. Well, again, Ooh. tonight, 
they have their home opener against the Tampa Bay Rays and Charlie Morton, who long ago was a brave that they shouldn't have let go of, and they did, and he's had a, a terrific career. Because the Braves are whiffing at such an alarming rate, over 12 per game, you've got a number here of 6.5 on the over-under, and you know what? Uh, I, I won betting against my team last week. I'm going to go for it again. Take the over <laughs> on Charlie Morton for strikeouts tonight. Six and a half. Oh. The Braves take on the Rays. The Braves having gotten mauled the last two nights uh, by the Rays down at Tropicana Field, now going back to Truist Park. And Atlanta's trying an ex- interesting experiment here, Zach, as well. They're trying, to ha- they're trying to have a season with a two-man rotation because once you get past Mike Soroka and Max Freed, it is a disaster. <laughs> oh, Mace, this is a this is a heart wrenching bet because you're betting on your team to to be playing bad baseball. But- I can't. Well, I'm betting on my team to keep playing the baseball that it's been playing, which is just striking <laughs> out left, right, and center. I mean, now I mean Ronald Acuna. He's he's making good contact. He's having a little bit of bad luck. But Freddie Freeman whiffed four times last night. Come oh, on, Freddie. Oh, man. Mesa, I mean, <laughs> he alone may win you your bet tonight. Oh. Uh, and it's, it could end up being a, a win-win bet. If, if you lose the bet, well, your team maybe won the game. If you lose or if you win the bet, then wait, I'm so confused. Anyways, it's going to probably work out. What you don't want, Mace, is the Braves to lose and to strike out six times. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> that would be a lose-lose. But I think I think you'll win in some fashion or the other. And speaking of DraftKings, that is the best place to be betting on anything, whether you're looking at future odds like me or whether you're looking at how many strikeouts your own team is going to be having like Mace. DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to do it. And we're both talking baseball, but over at DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet on anything. And basketball is about to start in Orlando. And while this year's ending to the basketball season will be different than years past, there will be no shortage of excitement on the court. And there's no better place to get in on the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, the top-rated sportsbook app. And to celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all users a special odds boost for the first three days of the season. Bet $20 to win $100 on any team of your choosing. So take advantage of these slam dunk offers right now on DraftKings Sportsbook. All you have to do is sign up and navigate to the promotions tab within the app. And don't stress, if you weren't able to get in before tip-off, DraftKings has you covered with live betting on all games. And if basketball or baseball isn't your game, DraftKings offers great promotional odds from everything, ranging from MMA uh, to everything they have up there. They have so many bets, like, like Mason and I just showed. You can bet on who's going to win the, the NL West, and you can bet on how many strikeouts Mace's Braves are going to have tonight. And <laughs> it's U.S.-based, making it safe, secure, reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get that sign-up bonus of bet $20 to win 100 on any team of your choosing. That's code DNVR and boost your odds from $20 to win 100. 
Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Well, if the Braves keep striking out at such a ridiculous rate, I'm going to need a drink. And I'm really glad I'm here in Denver, Colorado, because I have my choice of an array of Breckenridge brews. I can get that 15-can sampler if I can't figure out which kind of Breck brew I want. Or if I just want Strawberry Sky, I can just go on down to the store and get some Strawberry Sky. Or the other option is go down to the farmhouse in Littleton. Of course, that's Breck Brew's terrific restaurant that they have down at their facility there. If you use that magical code, as Zach would say, DNBR, you can save $5 off your meal when you place your order. You can take out, you can eat in, but you are advised to call ahead for reservations to make sure that you've got a table because, of course, they are following all social distancing policies. But if you just want to take out, call 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. for pickup. They'll bring your order right out to your car for you. And, of course, not just food, but you can get an array of Breck brews from there. There are some brews that are very difficult to find in stores around the area, but you'll be able to find them down at the farmhouse. And of course, I mentioned that 15 can sampler. You can get that from our friends at Davidson's as well in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. And they too have options that allow you to just pick it up. You can order through the, the Davidson's app and then go down to Centennial Highlands Ranch and they'll take it right out to your car for you. So, Plenty of ways to get Breck Brew, and now for all of you who aren't in Denver, if you're elsewhere, check out the Breck Beer Locator, and you can find the nearest outlet, whether it's a grocery store or a liquor store, 7-Eleven, whatever, that has those fine Breckenridge brews. You know, if, if your team is striking out like my team is, you're going to need some Breck Brews to get through every day of this baseball season. <laughs> Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNBR. I know something that's not striking out, Mason. That's our comment section. So let's talk to the people. And first one is for you. Yep, let's start with the count. The count gets mad Wednesday. I've been fanging my tongue on about this on this for about 700 years now, but I can tolerate it no more. Despite what a few dubious sources may claim when speaking about Denver's special advantage, one should say elevation, not altitude. Altitude should be used to describe the height of something above the earth, and elevation should be used when speaking about the relationship of a landmass to sea level. Those charlatans over at Altitude Sports walk under a tainted banner. They're in. Don't be like them, my boys. It's pet peeve season, right? Love the count. <laughs> well, there we go. I'll make sure to talk about elevation. And uh, so I guess they should be called elevation sports over there. Maybe in, they're not referring to the number of feet above sea level at which Denver sits. Maybe they're talking about the altitude that players have when, like, that uh, the, it's a limited altitude, but Nikola Jokic has when he jumps off the ground, or the altitude that Rocky has <laughs> when he's jumping off a trampoline and slam dunking, or, I mean, not really, there's not really much in hockey except the how how far the puck is off the ground when you get a slap shot flying through the air I guess so yeah they've got this a little bit wrong by the way speaking of the nuggets did you see MPJ's comments last night oh I did wow you know what <laughs> there are some times Zach where some rare times where the more I learn about an athlete 
the more I cringe. Now, we've gotten to know a lot of players over the years, and a lot of them are really good guys, and they have, they have interesting things to say. And, and like someone like Justin Simmons, the more you learn about him, the more you like him, the more you get to – Yep. Uh, I, I did not need to know this about Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> I did not need to know uh, where Jack Del Rio stands on things. <laughs> All right. You know, re- retweeting some quack doctors. I, I did not need to know this. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with you. Broncos, oh boy. Sooners, this, New York Rangers. So I'm not saying stick to sports. Anyone can go, can, can say what they want, but um Let's just say I like MPJ less today than I did yesterday, and I want to advise him, get out of the conspiracy theory rabbit holes, man. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I agree with you. Broncos Sooners New York Rangers times in and says, happy Wednesday, guys. I just want to say for anyone struggling out there with mental health problems, never be afraid to reach out or get help. Remember, going to therapy is cool. Sorry for the random introduction, but mental health means a lot to me. Let's talk about Broncos football. And I echo the exact same thing as Broncos Sooners, New York Rangers, this community, we are all here for everyone out there. Mm -hmm. So good reminder there, uh, Broncos Sooners, New York Rangers. So football, who do you think is the fastest player in Broncos history? And who do you think had the best hands as a receiver? Thanks for reading guys. Mile high salute. Okay. Now Champ Bailey was once timed at four two eight in the 40. But I would say by the time, by the time he got here, he was becoming a different type of player. He was still fast, but maybe not quite that fast. Trendon holiday for me is the fastest guy I've ever seen orange and blue. Yeah. And the best hands, certainly not Trendon holiday, the best (laughs) hands you go back and see some of the catches that Lionel Taylor made back in the sixties. You watch old highlight films, old clips and so forth. Man, I mean, he, sometimes he just put his hand out there and the ball would just stick. Like Was he had, he like he had, I, there's no evidence <laughs> of Lionel Taylor wearing stickum, but he had some great hands. I mean, the funny thing about Lionel Taylor, you look at him and uh, he's built a little more comfortably than most wide receivers, but man, oh man, but could he catch everything in sight? And so I'd say fastest player, Trinan Holiday, best hands, Lionel Taylor. And maybe we're looking at KJ Hamler competing with Trendon Holiday for that. But right now, seeing him on the field, yeah, there was a reason that that he was electric as a returner, Trendon. And it really could be KJ Hamler to overtake him for that. We'll see how fast he truly is since we don't know his 40 time. Uh, and, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you, Mace. Rod Smith, also some very yep. trusty hands. Um, surprised neither of us said Demarius Thomas. No, just kidding. Well, I'm not, you know. I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be remiss not to mention Rod Smith, and I'm glad you brought him up. But, uh, yeah, I got to give a little love to Lionel Taylor, really old school. In fact, you know what? I'm actually going to call Jim Sakamano after we get done with this because he called me up last night, but I didn't have a chance to call him back. And I may ask him who he thinks had the best hands in Broncos history as well mm. and see what he thought of my answer regarding Lionel Taylor. Yes. Broncos only. Hey, guys, it was great to add the return of Zach coincide with the return of the Broncos. You guys are a great team, and each of you brings something different to the podcast. Mace is the brains, RK is the courage, and Zach is the heart. Please let there be Broncos football this fall. There's no place like home. Yours truly, Broncos only. Oh, man, absolutely love that comment. That means so much. Thank you so much, Broncos only. We love having you ride with us. Click those orange slippers together twice. (laughs) 
<laughs> Next one from World to Suck. You guys mentioned that it seems like Belichick might have something up his sleeve with all these COVID opt-outs, such as tanking for Trevor. If they do wind up drafting Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or another quarterback who climbs the boards this year, they will also have the added benefit of having these six opt-out players' contracts slide a year. For example, Donta Hightower was entering the final year of his deal. So now that will slide to next season when he can help lead the defense while a young quarterback finds his rhythm on offense. On the other hand, it doesn't work out so well with Patrick Chung, though. He's already under contract until he's age 36. So now that will presumably slide back to when he's 37 years old. Yikes. To quickly jump on another sport, did you guys watch Bull Bull the other day? Holy moly, the Nuggets have an exciting young core. If MPJs, which Mace was speaking about, and Bull Bull hit anywhere remotely near their ceiling, the Nuggets will be so good that Kevin Durant will try to join them. The future is bright in Denver. Love that shot at uh, Kevin Durant, by the way, world of suck. Yeah, it, Bull Bull, that, he's been enrapturing to watch. Now, I caution everybody, he will probably have only a fringe impact on the team in this year's postseason but this is tantalizing and exciting for 2021 and 2022 because uh, to me I, I think the Nuggets title window is a couple of years from now and part of it is whether it's Jamal Murray, Bol Bol, MPJ I hope MPJ can kind of get a little more wisdom in his brain um <laughs> One of, the, one of those guys emerging as a, a, quality, a quality number two because in this day and age in the NBA, and this really kind of goes back a few decades, you don't win without a wingman that is, that is elite. And even mm -hmm. Michael Jordan needs Scottie Pippen. Yeah. So th th this is what you're, we're waiting on to emerge from the Nuggets. But it's exciting, it's exciting that they, they're starting to have some pieces. And the one thing about the Nuggets that I loved in their draft in the last couple of years is – when you are when you're putting together a good core, you are able to gamble on upside. So you take that roll of the dice on MPJ, even with the back problems. You take the the roll of the dice on Bull Bull, even though he missed most of his season at Oregon. If you watch those nine games he played at Oregon, I actually I I, made, I went out of my way to watch Oregon play early that season just because Bull Bull I was fascinated with him even then just the fact that he has that he's so live that he has the ability to run the court he has the ability to, to shoot and of course kind of at seven foot two and of course he kind of has some of that from his dad it was kind of a gag at the time but Manute Bull was had a pretty decent three-point stroke back in the day so yeah it's it's exciting it's a lot of fun to watch the Nuggets right now and uh, not just for the moment but for what they could be now the thing about the Patriots to go to what you mentioned their world of suck um, the contract sliding, it, it, it is interesting. And I'm glad the NFL did this effectively, you know, basically putting a contract on pause and then having what you'd earn in 2020 be the terms that you would have in 2021. It's right. not what baseball did. Like, for example, if you signed a free agent for this year, you're only getting him for the, and he opted out. It's too bad. So sad. You're not going to see him. That contract yeah. just goes. Bye-bye. I like the way the NFL is doing it better. Now, Patrick Chung, though, you mentioned that he is under contract into his age 36 season, and you'd be kicking that down the road a piece. But that being said, there isn't much left on his contract. If you take 2020 and slide to 2021, he's going to have a cap number, according to over the cap, of $5.13 and the cap number drops from there. So let's say the Patriots don't want 
Patrick Chung in 2024, what would be his age 37 season, they would save $2.4 million on the cap and only have 750 k of dead money. So it's doable. The Patrick Chung contract, even though he's getting up there into his mid-30s, it's not going to be something that's an anvil on them. Yeah, man, if Bill Belichick is brewing this up to get Trevor and then have a good team around him, oh, it'd be just such but, a classic Belichick move. But can you really see a Belichick team being that bad? Uh, because to no. be Trevor Lawrence bad, you've got to be you got to be two and fourteen. Like I, I think it's interesting that some of the other names that that Royal Suck mentioned, Justin Fields or Trey Lance, these guys may be more realistic options because somehow maybe I'll be wrong here. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. I can't see them doing worse than like five and eleven. Yeah, it, I mean. Unless Bill Belichick really says we're not going to game plan for any game, we're taking the year off, which I just don't see that either, Mason. He's too good of a coach to let his team be 2-14, and 3-13. And, and, and if they were tanking in their game plans, somebody in that locker room would leak it. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's why it just have to be – it'd have to be Bill that knows it. Bill and Robert would have to be the two that would know it. Yep. Mark IT Snatch. Hey, guys. Last night, we witnessed the birth of a meme. Facing a 3-0 count to Houston's Alex Bregman. Dodgers pitcher Joe Kelly said, screw it. He'll get on base anyway and fired a fastball at his head. The next play, Kelly had to cover first base, and Michael Brantley spiked his foot while beating out the throw to first. Kelly then threw an off-speed pitch at Carlos Correa, which missed. Correa eventually struck out on nasty curve. When the inning ended, the benches cleared, and we got to see what it looks like with social distancing. Kelly began taunting Houston, making crybaby faces and shouting, you can't hit without cheating. To his point, three-time All-Star <laughs> World Series MVP and two-time Silver Slugger George Springer is batting 050. <laughs> By the way, that's a great description of what happened last night. Yes, it is. That <laughs> is perfect. perfect. <laughs> I bring up cheaters because today we're looking at the New England Patriots. Denver's history as a team is intertwined with that of the Pats. The very first AFL game was a Broncos-Patriots game. Elway's first playoff win was against New England. Denver's worst cheating scandal was caused by a head coach that came from the Patriots. The last two Broncos Super Bowl runs have featured a Brady-Manning Bowl. Brock Osweiler's best NFL game was an insane primetime overtime game in the snow against New England. Two critical pieces of Denver's greatest offense and greatest defense were former Patriots. I would also throw in, Mark I.T. Snatch, the first coach to get the Broncos to the playoffs in the Super Bowl, Red Miller. You know where he was hired from? The Patriots. Patriots. Oh, wow. <laughs> Man, that's good. Yeah, and in fact, when he was coaching – he sh getting ready for the Raiders game his first season. He showed film of how dirty the Raiders were, and some of them, and a lot of the clips were from Raiders Patriots games of the previous year, including a playoff game. And Red made it clear to his players just how much he hated the Patriots. There are actually still people in New England who, for Red Miller's last season there in '76, still claim that the Raiders only because the refs gave him a, gave a phantom call against Sugar Bear Hamilton that cost the Patriots a win in the playoffs at Oakland. So, you know, I, I got to mention Red Miller in that as well because he's a huge part of the Broncos Patriot, the Broncos animus for the Patriots. Anyway, if it weren't for Pittsburgh, this would be Denver's biggest rival outside of the division. 
Why is this matchup so electrifying? Since he's the elephant in the room when discussing New England, what was the greatest game of the Brady era? And what was the best game pre-Brady? And what about your Bucks against the Patriots, Mace? Start with you, Zach. <laughs> Mace, I want to I wanna hear what's, what's the best game before the Brady era? The best Broncos-Patriots game before the Brady era is pro- – well, there are some candidates. There's the overtime game in 09, the Josh McDaniels fist-pumping game. At that moment, it was ecstasy. Of course, both teams wore throwback uniforms to 1960 that day. Yeah. So there's that game to consider. Um, the first playoff win for Elway in January of 87 – at Mile High Stadium over the Patriots. I believe Rulong Jones had the safety that kind of put the game on ice in the final moments with the sack of Tony Eason. Crowd going crazy. The Broncos' first playoff win, by the way, since the 1977 AFC Championship. So I think on balance, you've got to go with that one of the pre-Brady era. I, I believe it was on the 4th of January, 1987, as – the best Broncos Patriots game before Tom Brady was on the scene. That was a, it was, it was huge. And it, it really went a long way toward establishing uh, John Elway as legit getting that playoff win, getting, get that whole team getting over the hump because going into that game, all the chatter was it's John Elway's fourth season and the Broncos still don't have a playoff win. They changed that that day. Right. Yeah. And then post Brady, or I guess, uh, when Brady was on the team, there's three games that stick out to me. Two AFC championship games, both in Denver. Of course, the magical Chant Bailey pick six, or I guess should be picks, as close pick six. Uh, and then, Patriots uh, fans will tell you that <laughs> it should have been a touchback. Yep, they certainly will. Broncos got the ball um, very close to being a pick six, and that, that was just a fantastic game. Um, I guess that wasn't an AFC championship game though. That was uh, a divisional game. Uh, so pardon me on that. And then there was an AFC championship game though, when of course, 2015 Broncos beat the Patriots just hung on to the game. And then my third game Mace is the one that you talked about uh, the Josh McDaniels fist pump uh, just Broncos. What wasn't that to go six and zero as well? Uh, yeah, I believe that did get them to 6-0, yeah. yes. And then everything downhill from there. I guess another one you could throw in is that Brock Osweiler overtime game in the, in the snow against New England. All and games see, see, all games at home. Yep, and C.J. Anderson yep. breaking free and clear. Some great blocking on that play. And he took off, made a man miss, and he was gone. And you know, there, one of the coolest things is on, on one of the replays – you can see there's somebody standing by the field who's kind of pumping his fists and going crazy. It's Joe Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> I love seeing that. Like I, I love that side of Joe because oh, I don't yeah. think the public sees the passionate football fan side of him because of his role as team president. But that's actually really cool to look at him just going crazy there as CJ is <laughs> running down the field. So that, that's a great moment. It's, in my heart, it's hard to top the the Brady or the the, the, uh, the Bailey near pick six off of off of Tom Brady there because uh, that was just such an electric moment. And remember, the Patriots had a a winning streak that was in the postseason that was, I believe, three, six, nine, ten game postseason winning streak. 
and the Broncos snapped it. But that being said, for significance, the moment you've got to go with a 2015 AFC championship game and stopping the two-point conversion late, the Broncos hanging on by their fingernails to keep from falling off the cliff. And, of course, it was Peyton Manning's last rodeo at home, as it turned out. Oh, boy. The, the, the significance of that game you can't understate, even though the Brock Osweiler game made that AFC championship game possible because if the Broncos don't win that, they do not host the Patriots in January. So Yeah, and all these games yeah. we talked about Picking have been at home. <laughs> and Mark IT yep. Snatch adds, also, fun fact, the only time the Broncos lost in the playoffs to New England, the Patriots ended up choking in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a game I choose not to remember. Very cold night in Foxborough. And you know, we Tebow didn't have much of a shot, but boy oh boy, Tom Brady just picked on Andre Goodman. And yes. that's a big part of why they let him go and brought in Tracy Porter, who eventually got beat out by Chris Harris Jr. But Andre Goodman was that was the soft underbelly that night and Brady exposed him it was it was painful to watch because I, I i liked him i like covering him like talking to him in the locker room and uh seeing the way that that new england went at him it, it, it was tough to watch T- tough to watch that happen to a guy who was a, a good guy in the locker room for those two years the other thing to answer mark it snatch quickly on the best patriots bucks game not many choices but the one i'm gonna go with is meaningful to me it's from that 97 season my favorite buccaneer team the 1997 bucks and they hosted the Drew Bledsoe-led Pats at Tampa, at then Hoolahan Stadium, always be Tampa Stadium to me, in November of 97, and just clobbered them, 27-7. And, and the game was not as close as the score would indicate. And the significance of that was it was the Bucks' eighth win that year, which meant that for the first time in 15 years, the Bucks would not have a losing season. <laughs> and the smile on your face right oh, now says it all, Mace. Oh my goodness. It just and that's what went through my mind. We're not gonna have a losing season. Yeah, we might lose the next five games and go eight and eight, but we're not gonna have a losing season. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I hope that's not the attitude Broncos fans have oh, in like ten please, years down the line. Please don't let it get like that. Please. I, I, <laughs> I've lived through it once as a fan. I don't want to live through it again as a journalist here. Um, let's, let's not even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Next one coming in from Dick Dragon, private investigator. Interesting. You guys mentioned the other day the Baker Mayfield reaction to not going after safety, safeties Adams and James. My contention is that nobody is saying that about Justin Simmons, and that's why the Broncos didn't get too far out on the limb with negotiations. I see he's a draft pick. He's a very good player and an even better man, but I was, he, but I was one of the fans who was pounding the table for a safety in the second or third round. I hope he jumps off the field in 2020 and the Broncos sign him to a contract that makes them both happy. But I think the only guy on that defense who isn't replaceable is 58 for now. Am I wrong? You make a good point, and maybe this is part of the Broncos' thinking in terms of not seeing him as that top two or three safety. Maybe they just want to see him do it again. 
because while the first three years showed some promise, certainly Justin Simmons couldn't be regarded as an elite safety in those first three years. There right. were moments of there were moments where he looked brilliant, but wasn't consistent. He showed it last year. He was terrific pretty much from start to finish. So kind of see your point there. I, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good comment. And I would say as far as irreplaceable, Vaughn Miller, but I would say that Bradley Chubb, I think this year is going to ascend to that irreplaceable realm as yeah, well and I see the argument for and against Bradley Chubb because if you want to be against it you can say well he was injured last year coming off his second ACL I get that if you want to make your argument for him top five pick had a mm-hmm. fantastic rookie season uh and would just happen to get hurt last year so I'm not going to disagree with you there Mace I think we'll know a lot more about Bradley Chubb and if he's the only irreplaceable guy on the defense after this year um and it's interesting to say that Von Miller is not replaceable because we could very much be in a scenario where they are replacing him in one year from now. So um, that, that, that's very interesting there. And Justin Simmons, the way I view him, we had this conversation, I think back in January or February, Mace, I think he's a really, really good player. He's an incredibly good player. I don't think he's elite because I think elite, you have to be a game changer and you have to bring a fear to an offense and have them game plan around you every single week. And I'm just not to that level with Justin. He's a really, really good player. And so it's kind of that you you really like him, but you don't necessarily love him. And I think that's where the Broncos are with him because John said we made him a really good offer and we we were far apart. So that's saying they just, they don't view Justin the way Justin views Justin. Yeah, it was interesting. Elway, when he commented on Simmons kind of talking about that, but then even talking about how the economic environment did alter things because he did talk about the unknowns. He said that he had discussions with Joe Ellis on how much guaranteed money they want to get to. So I wonder if the part of the issue here was not simply the length and the, the overall number at the end of the contract, but also the guarantee that of course you have to put an escrow right away. And so that's that that sort of reveals some of the the other underlying issues it's 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 definitely not something that's cut and dry one thing or the other it's probably a combination of everything and by the way on your handle here um at first i saw your name as daryl dragon and i thought hmm daryl dragon that's like um that that's that was the that was the the real name of the captain of captain and tenille from back in the 70s (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> dating myself here but yeah i have no idea what you're I, talking about then i looked up dick dragon on google and the first link was to an urban dictionary listing and i'm just going to leave it at that oh boy <laughs> gotta keep this a kid's show here and he oh. leaves a he leaves another comment and says the chiefs gave an extension to the to Mahomes. why wouldn't the broncos just tag on deals to the contract of phil and alexander johnson it doesn't really cut off your toes on the cheap deal, and they know the team is making a commitment to them. Sorry, I know we beat this subject to death. Well, I think uh, with Alexander Johnson, they, they're going to play the wait-and-see game here. And yeah. sort of similar to Justin Simmons, I think they want to see him do it for another year. 
Now, are you okay with that? Or because his price tag may be significantly higher if you wait another year. Well, I am an Alexander Johnson believer based on what I saw. I think Todd Davis is the perfect linebacker working next to him. I, I think Todd can help him fill in the gaps in his game as far as, far as having a little more discipline, being stronger on, on the mental side of things. And I think Todd Davis helps him. I think Alexander Johnson is going to grow in those areas and be able to channel that aggression a, a little bit more. So, you know what? Uh, me, I, I would have done the Ted Thompson and given Alexander Johnson a, preempt, a, a preemptive uh, contract offer to keep him around because I've seen enough. I'm sold. I think mm. he's legit. So they should do it now. They shouldn't wait on him. Yeah. Uh, he's a guy where I am okay if they wait on him just because if Vic needs to see a full year of a guy before at inside linebacker, boy, you got to trust that he knows if a guy has it or not. And if he's saying, mm-hmm. let's wait, and I'm saying, okay, I trust that. But if Vic is saying, I know this guy's the truth, then Mace, there's no reason to wait. But at the same time, Vic may say that, but the decision on whether they're going to do that actually comes down to John Elway, though. Right, and right. The and organiz- I'm saying if Vic is giving or- that advice, though. Right. Yeah, the organizational philosophy has been not getting out a year ahead on these guys. So, yeah, yeah. You know. Next one from Lock, Lock- the Casbah. Oh, sorry. Lock the Casbah. Been a while since I commented, been really busy. I missed one or two pods last week, but have we talked about the awful snub in the NFL Top 100 list? I know it's really an unimportant list, but apparently there are only two Broncos. I thought Vaughn, Casey, and Simmons were locks. Then I saw DK Metcalf was on the list. I know anyone who understands football would know Sutton should be on there if Metcalf is. Same with Josh Jacobs and Philip Lindsay. You're talking about comparable, if not better, numbers with an extra season as evidence as opposed to being rookies. Anyway, it's truly a small thing, but one of the most illogical things I've seen in a while. I can't even wrap my head around thought processes here. Uh, Well, don't get too worked up, and I'll tell you why those things happen. DK Metcalf is a a big name. A lot of players know his name. Now, a lot of players know Cortland Sutton's name, but DK Metcalf is a bigger name for being a rookie last year than Cortland Sutton was when he was a rookie. Uh, And Josh Jacobs, first-round pick, Philip Lindsay undrafted and we're talking about this nfl top 100 list was voted on by players they're not given a list of players they're just told at their lockers to pick guys off their head and of course dk metcalf is probably going to come to the to the top of the guys heads uh and so is josh jacobs above philip Lindsay. absolutely and you know what again i'm sort of losing my ability to get angry over these lists as I get older (laughs) so you know what I've there are some better top 100 lists out there that uh, have been compiled by some pundits and not necessarily here in Denver and I've seen Cortland Sutton and Justin Simmons on those top 100 lists so I think part of the flaw here is I believe that when NFL players do this they're asked to just put down 20 guys. Yep, that's exactly what they're told. And I think what happens then is there are some some players who, they basically collect a lot of votes in the top 20, and then you're only having a handful of votes that that allow a guy to be at the back end of this. And I don't know. I I know they probably couldn't get them to list 100 players, but uh, I think it would – 
be a lot more sound if they asked or even 50 just say pick 50 not 20 50 <laughs> right yeah something that's that, yeah. still too much work i, I it's just yeah. it's just something that gets a lot of attention because it's a rankings list so please guys right. don't get upset over it <laughs> and as usual like many things it's too heavy on quarterbacks and too heavy on skill positions yeah too light on the offensive line yeah, with, with, without a doubt, that's for sure. But one thing that is right is our coverage of Colorado rugby on thednvr.com. And DNVR is now covering all things rugby in Colorado and the United States. Our reporter, Colton Strickler, is keeping you up to date with all things American rugby with the DNVR Rugby Podcast. And you can find his written rugby content right on the dnvr.com with the rest of our coverage. And because it, it, this is all happening, because it was just announced that Infinity Park in Glendale will be the new official training center for the men's and women's USA Eagles 15 teams. That means Colorado is the place to be in rugby for the United States. And make sure you're keeping up to speed with us and Colton on the DNVR Rugby podcast. They break down the game. They break down everything that's going on with rugby in Colorado, with rugby in the United States. So make sure to check out them on DNVR Rugby on Twitter. Check out DNVR Rugby podcast. And, of course, check out the rugby coverage on thednvr.com. Now, we're rugby. We're also golf over at DNVR, and we've got DNVR golf going on. But for a while, we've had WGT Golf, the official gaming partner of DNVR. You can download the game by going to dnvrgolf.com. We just set up. By popular demand, the DNVR 3 Clubhouse. We have the DNVR Clubhouse, which filled up, DNVR 2. Now we have DNVR 3. You can have access to the same tournaments, the same action, the same fun that we're having over in DNVR Clubhouse and DNV, the DNVR 2 Clubhouse. Of course, but you can also play it on your own. It's the most realistic free golf game loved by more than 20 million players around the world. You can play full stroke play, as I like to do on some courses like Pebble Beach, Beth Page, Black, St. Andrews, the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island, and many, many more. You can even play Top Golf. If you've been missing out on Top Golf, you want to aim for the targets, have a little fun, you can do that with the Top Golf game mode. You can play WGT Golf as well on your favorite mobile devices and on the web. I like playing it on my iPad, get a nice big screen, enjoy the action. WGT Golf, the official gaming partner of DNVR. Go to dnvrgolf.com, download the game, and join that DNVR 3 clubhouse today. Next one coming in from Dan Burke. He says, hey, guys, a couple thoughts. One, we don't know how he was performing in the meetings, etc. so I could have been perfectly justified, but I feel like the Broncos might have made a mistake cutting Shaquille Taylor. I was not surprised to see him get picked up by another team straight away because he has a lot of potential, in my opinion. I guess I'll just have to latch on to another player as my deep sleeper boo thing now. <coughs> Kendall Hinton. <coughs> Two, I think all three of y'all, as well as myself, had the pass games as an L, mostly in part because they were expected to have a strong defense again. Now that Chung and Hightower, who was their defensive play caller, are out for the season, and they already lost several starters on that defense and free agency, Jamie Collins, Danny Shelton, Kyle Van Noy, and Derman Harmon, or Duran Harmon, are y'all still considering that an L, or is that a game the Broncos can realistically win now? 
First of all, Zach, that cough didn't sound too good. You okay there, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing good. It was uh, in oh. the question, just reenacting. I know, Bert. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I got you. Okay, I've actually been thinking about both this and the Jets game. The Jets, of course, they trade Jamal Adams, and they're not going to have home fans there. So I think it might become a dub. You could say the same thing about the Patriots as well, but I'm also thinking this. Let's say you have limited to no capacity for games this year. Um, and you're going to have limited capacity, but let's say you have no capacity. I think that it might turn a game that I have as an upset into a loss, and that's the Broncos beating the Saints late in the season. Mm. So the, I, 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 I sort of uh, went, went on my own for that one a little bit, calling the upset, but I don't feel as confident now about uh, the home environment and Denver being able to rattle Drew Brees and company very much and knock them off kilter. So I'm moving that to an L. I'm moving New England or New, the New York Jets to a win. New England, I'm on the fence, but that could be a dub. In general, though, this is a year where maybe home field advantage just goes out the window entirely. The only home field advantage might be the Broncos being at elevation. <laughs> not altitude right or when uh the broncos go into la the chargers just know that the broncos own them there anyway so maybe that plays into it as well and yeah mace i agree with you i think that jets game is now easier man i'm just so torn at how the patriots are going to be it's just hard to discount bill belichick but yeah that's starting to look like a win uh and i like your your reasoning against the saints i think there's there's a lot there um, that you won't have that advantage against the Saints like you thought you were going to. Yeah, I was thinking that could be one of those late-season surprises. I'm not as convinced now. IG Bronco Sensei, yo, guys, hope all is well. And, Zach, it's awesome to have you back. Together, Thank you, you guys so much. Are, together, you guys are a great mix of personalities, and the – My boys! are not the same when you aren't on, although the guys try to do it without you, so give them their props. I actually forgot one day. I think it was <laughs> one of the days I was on with Dre. I forgot to say it. So. <laughs> well, there'll be no forgetting now. Yeah. So my question is about the tight end position. With the draft and free agency moves the Broncos made, how many tight ends do you think will make the final roster, and what order you, do you think they'll fall on the depth chart? Obviously, Noah Fant is the favorite here, but I'd love to hear how you think the other guys will pan out. Thanks for the time. Sensei speaks. Uh, love the question, Sensei. Uh, Noah Fant, number one. He's going to be your primary guy. Nick Vanette is your number two guy, and he's really going to be the blocking specialist. So if you ever truly need a blocker, it's going to be him. Uh, or if you want to confuse the defense on what you're going to do, you'll have Fant on one side, Vanette on another. That way you have the, the threat of a run, the threat of a pass there. And Albert O will be your third tight end. And he may even be your second tight end at times when it is a true passing situation and you want um, Alberto and Noah Fant on the field. I think they keep four. Those three plus Andrew Beck, who can also be a fullback in a pinch. Now that being said, I can see a scenario where Albert O is listed as your third team tight end, but isn't active because Andrew Beck does a lot on special teams, can also be fullback, can also be H-back. And so I can see a scenario where you have Albert O inactive 
as a healthy scratch for games and Andrew Beck up because he can be a fullback at the goal line. Yep, yep. I think that's exactly right, Mace. They really like Andrew Beck, too. LDJ chimes in. Hey, guys, so I was really sad to see Elijah Wilkinson on Pup. Happy Moody is on Pup. Honestly, I want him redshirted this whole season. But Wilkinson, like, we have to make Garrett Bowles earn something. Man, Mace is right. We cannot afford to have lost on that O-line. And how do we make Bowles compete if he can assume the job is his without having to win a competition? Calvin Anderson, line yeah. one. <laughs> Maybe that's this what is, all the faces were about that he was this, tweeting. This is your shot, buddy. Yep. You're, you're going to be able to go out there and be on the second team probably right away. Yep. Here's a chance for you to show what you can do to, to show that your brain power can translate to power on the field. There are some intriguing traits to, Cal, to Calvin Anderson. I really just want to see him get out there and see what he can do. I'm, I'm fascinated. Again, he's probably the, probably the smartest guy in that offensive line room, maybe the smartest guy on the team. But it's sort, of, it's sort of making it translate a little bit. He needs to play with a little bit more power than he's shown in the past. He's been in the weight room, so I expect he's going to be bulkier than he was when he was with the Broncos last year when he basically got a red shirt year. And one thing that always intrigues me is knowing the history of Mike Munchak and how he likes to kind of sit on a guy for a year and let him gestate and then unleash him a year or two later after he's had a chance to develop and uh, somebody who doesn't fit all the typical traits of a left of an offensive tackle or an offensive lineman, but they end up being productive. Alejandro Villanueva was one of those guys in Pittsburgh that he sat on for a little bit and let him develop and let him grow. And then when he unleashed him, he was a terrific player. I don't want to sit here and compare Calvin Anderson to Villanueva. I'm just saying that I think the fact that Broncos kept him around all year, even though he was inactive, I think he's going to get a look to at least make the team and uh, maybe show if he can dazzle a little bit. And I'm not saying, and maybe in my dream scenario, he pushes Garrett Bowles. That would be fun. I'm rooting for Calvin Anderson. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be good to have competition there and man, we'll, we'll see when Elijah Wilkinson gets back. Next one coming in from Wildcard. What's up, fellas? It's getting close to fantasy football season, and I got to say this has to be the weirdest fantasy football year I've ever prepared for. Not going to lie, I'm a little bummed I won't get the preseason this year to evaluate what guy might end up being the sleeper of the year. In the past, I've used the preseason as a good gauge to grab guys like Lindsey and Julius Thomas. What Broncos players do you see as must-draft, and what Broncos do you see as being a major sleeper? As always, thanks for the great content, your boy Wildcard. Okay, one thing I want to ask you, Wildcard, how many Bronco fans are in your fantasy league? Because <laughs> yeah. if you have a lot of Bronco fans in your fantasy league, they're going to be overdrafted. In yeah, all stay, stay away from them. But if you're in a fantasy league with fans from a, of a bunch of other teams, you know what? Drew Locke is, an, is a potential sleeper as QB2 not QB1. The thing to consider, though, is listening yesterday to John Elway talk about the offense yeah. being a little bit of a slow build and Vic Fangio talking about an offense that has balance. Yeah. So they're going to lean on the defense and they're going to lean on the running game. So I would, you know, I would be watching closely 
the reports that come out of camp to see where the running backs stand. Because if Melvin Gordon emerges as the running back one, if they don't go for the, for the, for the timeshare philosophy, as we've espoused on this podcast, and Melvin Gordon is the clear running back one, he's going to get a lot of shots, and he's probably going to score double digits and touchdowns. So mm-hmm. he would be somebody to look at. I think Cortland Sutton as a target from the 30-yard line on in. Drew Locke is going to lean on him. Noah Fant's uh, sort of a sleeper there, but again, if they're going to ease this passing game in, you may have a little bit of a pause before you take Broncos in the passing game too high because I think they're going to be judicious and not completely unleash things right away, at least if John Elway and Vic Fangio's comments reveal what they're, the philosophy they're going to take here over the next several weeks. Three guys I like for value, and you're not going to get value if you're playing in a league with Broncos fans, but if, if you're playing in a league without Broncos fans, three guys I like for value. Noah Fant, I think he's going to have a better statistical year than last year, and I think you can get good value there. Jerry Judy, I think he's going to have a very good season, uh, and you can get good value there. And Melvin Gordon, because of the touchdowns that he may be able to produce. Now, it's tough with, with having a balanced team and two running backs. It's tough to, to use a premium pick on either Phil or Melvin. That's why I think you have to wait and get value for him. Uh, and uh, the comments from John Elway yesterday does make you think, well, shoot, maybe it's 2021 when I'm grabbing all these Bronco players. Or maybe late in 2020, but you're just going to have to give this some time. Yep. The other Ryan. My boys. The river of Broncos and football news from yesterday was much welcome. Thanks for breaking it all down. Down. <laughs> How about okay? the news? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm hanging <laughs> there. Yeah, I feel like I'm 13 years old. My voice is breaking. How about the new Slim Vicky? Down over 30 pounds. Better watch out, Zach. You may have competition for the trimmest fella in Broncos country. <laughs> I think I need to be on the Vic Fangio diet plan, man. That, that really worked. He looked great. Well, he did look really good. And Mace, I guess all you have to do is become an NFL head coach and, and then you're on TV all the time. Yep. Did you see the cap that Melvin Gordon wore when reporting at Dove Valley? I can definitely give the guy a fair shot after wearing that throwback headgear. And Dalton Rosner showing up to the facility, nothing but overalls, a straw hat mask, and aviator sunglasses was pure gold. What is your biggest takeaway from Elijah Wilkinson starting training camp on the pup list? How will Wilkinson be in competition with Garrett Bowles if he isn't going to be practicing? At what point did the Broncos just sign Cordy Clen or, Clen or Marshall Newhouse for depth and actual competition before other teams do so? Have a wonder-filled Wednesday. DN the Army salute. Well, we talked about Wilkinson. We talked about Bowles earlier. You know, if they were going to sign Cordy Glenn or Marshall Newhouse, why wouldn't they have done that already? Yeah, and they would have signed some other guys that have already been scooped up now, too. It, it's not going to happen. It's, it's looking more and more and more like Garrett Bowles. Yep. Black Belt Bronco fan. Good day to you all, DNVR folk. Number one, I was subscribed for a while on the monthly plan and went annual a few months ago. I think this is my first comment, so we got got him. Nice. Two, I'm a Bronco fan in Arizona by way of upstate New York, and I lived in Denver for a two-short year and a half in the early 90s. Three, this one's for Pat. Four, I never realized this before, but when Mr. B introduced number seven as the GM, he actually said something about John saying, this one's for Pat sometime. Missed that in the joyous Super Bowl 50. Five. There is no comment number five. 
six. I don't know if it's been brought up, but could some of the contract impasse be with Justin Simmons be caused by the ownership situation? Not only is the team not necessarily flush with cash, as we all know, but might Joe Ellis be hesitant to sign a long-term big money deal with a potential sale coming up so any new owners aren't saddled with one of the top safety contracts in the league, which Justin Simmons should get when they had no input on it. Just a thought. Number seven, this one's for John. Number eight, Strawberry Sky is outstanding. I'll let you let y'all get on with it for now. BBBF in AZ. There's a, a lot of a lot of stuff that you brought up there in number in number six. Yeah. And did you think it was interesting, Zach, when Joe Ellis was talking about kind of the finances and how things were looking for the long for this year and beyond. And he said they're fine for this year, but if the pandemic lingers and the revenue remains down, could be some trouble next year. Yep, yep. And then he talked – I mean, we're just talking about next year too. And then he said, you know, I'm not thinking about 2021. Hopefully it's all better then. We're fine this year. And that is interesting. Now, I don't think – that Joe Ellis doesn't want any big contracts for the next owner because that that owner wouldn't have signed off on him. If so, that's that's not how to run a football team. And so I really don't right. think that Joe Ellis is looking at it in that way. If Joe Ellis had a say in this, uh, it would be in terms of how much money do we have right now? How much money can we put in escrow for guarantees? That's where Joe Ellis would come into the Justin Simmons deal. Yeah, and and, and his fi- his final comment on that was he said. Quote, I'm optimistic about 2021, not worried about this year. Like, we're going to get through it just fine. But uh, he did say earlier, I don't want to weather two years of, of a pandemic. I think, that's, I think that's true for any business right now. I think – but it's, it's interesting, again, because the Broncos are the primary business of the Bowen family. They can't draw from other areas they can, and instantly get the cash. Of course, that being said, you have – other owners who have diverse portfolios and other aspects of those portfolios are hurting right now. And maybe those can't survive a second year that is like this. So, you know, I think this year, I think this year it's about coping with what the pandemic has thrown at us. If there is not a vaccine by the time we're talking about the 2021 season, we are probably talking about a, a new reality in which we are having to live with this to right. some degree. Right. And, uh, and at that point you are, you are saying, okay, well, who's, you know, are people going to come back to the games or not? And I, my worry is that you may open up the doors, but not everyone that you want to come may come. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very fascinating. Hopefully we don't have to worry about that. You know, John Elway was very realistic when, when talking about this yesterday. He said, uh, this isn't something that's going to be gone in two weeks or a month. This is something that we have to deal with for at least the next six months. And, you know, I, I don't think we should be taking a two-week look at anything because it's clear it's going to be here longer than two weeks. I also think it's tough to take like a two-year look at this. But in terms of the football season – I think we need to be viewing this that it's going to be here the entire football season this year mm-hmm. and we'll get to 2021 when we can. But I think that's probably the right way to be looking at it in, in John's eyes one day at a time and not really looking further than, or I guess assuming that this is here with us the next six months. Yeah. That, and the other thing is this, I mean, 
it's not that we can't have a vaccine in the next six months, but it's the, it's having it be widely distributed. And that's why I think everybody needs to accept that uh, that's not going to happen in terms of the wide distribution during this calendar year. And frankly, Zach, this is why I think college football should just punt on the fall and say, let's try to make this happen in the spring. It seems, it seems pointless to have college football right now. Pro football is different because it's a pro environment. It's not a college campus. You, I, I, think, uh, I think college is trying to play this year is foolish. Yeah, and it, it kind of just seems like it's leaning more and more toward that way. And final one here coming in from Talking Schmidt. Hey, boys, new to the podcast, and I absolutely love it. Ah, oh, I love to hear that. Thank you, Talking Schmidt. Was born and raised in Boulder, and now we live in Montana, sadly. Just wanted to ask, who was your most underrated player on the Super Bowl 50 team? Thanks. Have a great Wednesday. Ooh, most underrated player. My answer to this is usually the same, Dane Trevathan. Mm, yep, that's a really good one. It's a really good one. What about Peyton Manning? Now, he wasn't putting up the numbers. He wasn't putting up the stats. He wasn't blowing anyone's mind like Peyton Manning's used to doing. But Mace, in my opinion, without Peyton Manning, even though he was not the Peyton Manning that we're all used to, the Broncos don't win the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning had to go in there week 17 when he did, and he had to be the leader of that football team. They didn't put up crazy offensive points when he was in there, but without him, they're not winning the Super Bowl. So as crazy as it is, the underrated player, Peyton Manning. <laughs> okay, I, I got to say that. See, I can't call Peyton Manning <laughs> I just can't. I'm That's sorry. fair. That's fair. Um, I, I also say this. You could say Brandon McManus, at least during that playoff run, it doesn't happen without him as well. So he's one of those guys I'd say was underrated in it. Yeah, I I totally, totally agree. And Mace, before we get out of here, I got to tell you guys about WGT Golf because it's my favorite golf game and the most popular golf game in the world. And it's also the official gaming partner of DNVR. And we want you guys to play with us. And so many of you have played with us that we just opened up a DNVR3 clubhouse. So how do you join that DNVR3 clubhouse? Well, go to dnvrgolf.com to download WGT. Make sure you do that instead of the App Store because it lets WGT know that you want to play with us. So dnvrgolf.com, go in there. Once you download WGT, Go into the clubhouse section and search for DNVR3. That's DNVR and then the number three next to it. Join that clubhouse and you will get the same access and benefits that DNVR1 has, DNVR2 has, and you'll be entered into all of our tournaments. And we have them every single week and they are an absolute blast. And we want to play with you guys. So make sure to get in there. You can play all of our tournaments. You can also play other members within the clubhouse. It's such a fun place. And why I love the game so much is it's so realistic. You can play anywhere you are on your phone and games take anywhere from five minutes to, you know, 20 minutes. So it's a lot quicker than golf, which I like. And it's so realistic. I love playing at St. Andrews and Pebble Beach. So make sure to get in on there. Go to dnvrgolf.com to download WGT and join that DNVR3 clubhouse. Well, that'll do it today on this hump day edition. Thank you guys so much for rolling with us. I I mean so much that you roll with us every single day. So for Andrew Mason, I'm Zach Stevens. Have a fantastic Wednesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow.